Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 3 The Night Bus. Harry was several streets away before he collapsed onto a low wall in Magnolia Crescent, panting from the effort of dragging his trunk. He sat quite still. Anger still surging through him, listening to the frantic thumping of his heart. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. This week, we're joined by Jack Bird from the Harry Potter Alliance to share a story. Hi, Jack. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me today. Um, So what I wanted to share was for the first 25 years of my life, I kept a secret from people for a quarter of a century. I had the secret that was hanging over me. And the thing about secrets, there's a lot of reasons that we don't share them. When I was growing up, it was because I I didn't totally know what it was. I didn't know how to talk about it. I was still trying to figure it out. I knew I was different. I knew there was this thing I shouldn't tell people, but I didn't even know how I would tell someone. And when I got older, sort of in college, I learned the words for it. And I learned that what I had been feeling all along meant that I was transgender. And once I started learning the words for that and how they related to me and what I was going to do with that information and, you know, how I was going to live with that, then it was a secret because I didn't know how people were going to react when I told them. I knew that they would probably treat me differently and that it would color their opinions of me. Uh, It would just, like, forever change how they thought about me. 
you know, like secrets are like withheld knowledge and knowledge always alters how people see the world. So it's not just like the act of telling someone your secret. It is giving them this knowledge. It's like letting smoke out of a bottle that you can never put back into it. And I was so frightened of how all these people that I loved so deeply in my life were going to possibly reject me. And as I slowly started telling more and more people, you know, my, my mom, some of my best friends, and their reactions were always okay, I slowly built up the strength to come out publicly. And I came out in a YouTube video about two years ago. And the most wonderful thing happened that even on YouTube what is known as like the scum of the earth for comments. I got no negative reactions. It was just this huge outpouring of love from my community and from adjacent communities. And it was just this huge weight off of my shoulders. It enabled me to like go forward where even with the struggles that still happen and the day to day challenges, like I knew I had this huge community that had my back. And and even if, if things weren't totally positive, just knowing that it wasn't something that I had to hide all the time anymore, my health just completely increased. Um, I stopped having as many headaches and stomach aches, and it was just like, it was, it was a full kind of reversal of my health because I didn't have to keep this secret anymore. Jack, I love that story. And I, I love that image of the smoky bottle and the once the secret is out, there's no way to put it back in. And also just the way that you described the heaviness of carrying a secret. Like there's a there's a mm -hmm. toll, as you said, with that YouTube video, like it was a great thing to share in the end when it was the right time. But there is a toll to keeping secrets, which I think we should think about as we as we look at where there are secrets in the text this week and even throughout the books. You know, I think of Snape especially and the massive secret that he has to carry to the whole world and the effect it takes on him as a character. So tell us a little bit more about what you do, because the Harry Potter Alliance, I should say, was a big inspiration for this podcast project. Oh, man. So, yeah, we have done so much because our model is just using, uh, you know, Harry Potter and the power of story and other pop culture to mobilize fans towards social action, using that intrinsic enthusiasm and creativity and community organizing power of fans to make change in our real world. And so using that model, we're able to work across a broad spectrum of issues. So in the 12 years we've been around, we've done everything from funding the protection of civilians in Darfur and Burma to phone banking for marriage equality back when we had to do that in the U.S. Um, mm. Thankfully, we don't anymore, although who knows with this administration. Mm. Uh, we, you know, registered first time voters. We have run campaigns on immigration reform and economic inequality and mental health, all sorts of things. Right now is one of our favorite times of the year. Every spring, we do our annual literacy campaign called Accio Books. Over the years, we have donated and collected over 300,000 books around the world. Wow. So our, our chapters and our individual members all um, collect books in their local communities and They'll donate them to places in their communities that need books, or they have the option to send them to our main recipient that we do every year. This year, it is going to Words Alive in San Diego. They are a center that provides books for the community out there. And the past couple of years, we've also worked not just donating books, but working on literacy and advocacy in like public libraries and with net neutrality. And this year, I think we're focusing quite a bit in, in some small ways on media literacy, because that's very mm. resonant right now. That's part of what we're doing. In addition to uh, collecting books all around the world, we are also advocating in any way we can and spreading awareness about the importance of funding for literacy. 
So definitely join the campaign. And the, the website is thehpalliance.org, thehpalliance.org. And um, there's a ton of awesome stuff on there. You know, you can join this Akio Books campaign. There's also a campaign called Neville Fights Back, which I love. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, it's a great mailing list to be on because there's always something interesting going on and to join. And I just love bringing the story and our values and action all together in one. So um, really, really glad to have you with us. Thank you so much, Jack. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Whenever we have a guest on, it feels like a little vacation from our responsibility to tell stories. But if you want to hear us tell a story, you should come to one of our live shows. Yes, come hear our stories. We're so excited about this live show tour that we're doing this summer. So come, please, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, New York, and Washington, D.C. In the middle of the country, we have not forgotten about you. We will be coming to you one day. But for now, Coast, we're excited to meet you. One of the things that was a lot of fun at the live show in January was that we actually crowned a winner for the live 30-second recap. So um, let's give it a go and see who gets the crown today. Are you ready, Vanessa? I'm ready. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So Harry has puffed out of the Dursleys, and he's just standing there, and there's a dog, and then he is trying to defend himself against the dog, and he accidentally hails the night bus, and all sorts of whatever night bus stuff ensues. And Stanley Shunpike, who turns out to be a Nazi sympathizer later, um, is like, oh, my God, you don't know about Sirius Black? And Harry is like, my name is Neville Longbottom. And then they pull up in front of the Leaky Cauldron, and Cornelius Fudge is waiting there, and Cornelius Fudge is like, Harry, you shouldn't have done that, but I'm glad you're safe. And by the way, you're going to stay at the Leaky Cauldron for the next couple of weeks. Okay. Okay, some foreshadowing there, Vanessa. Yeah. Well, Stanley Shunpike, the fact that you know how he ends up has colored the way that I read him in the scene. To be discussed. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Harry is standing there. He's run lots of streets, and, and he feels like he's being watched, and um, but he can't quite place what it is. He doesn't know it's a dog, Vanessa. Um, and But then somehow this bus appears with a big bang, and he gets on the bus, and there's candles which somehow, you know, sustain the multi-mile, you know, pivoting, dropping area. And then there's beds on wheels, and people falling asleep, and people getting off, and they're green. And Cornelius Fudge is there at the broomsticks. No, not broomsticks, but the, the um, you know, the place. And he has a strong hand on Harry's shoulder and says, come with me, and Tom makes his bed. I want us to like clip together all of the different details that you end your 30 second recaps on. He he makes his bed. Percy is head boy. It's like I just <laughs> I like to bring it to a close. It's like end scene. And most important fact last. So Vanessa, we're looking at this theme of secrets this week. Where where did you see secrets show up in this chapter? I think the biggest secret is Harry's identity in this chapter, because most of the chapter, as the title of the chapter implies, takes place on the night bus. And for that entire time, Harry is keeping his identity a secret. He's folding down his bangs. I think you Brits say fringe. Yeah, good vocab. Thank you. Uh, To cover his scar. And he tells Stanley flat out in urn, he tells them that his name is Neville Longbottom. And I think he probably does this for several reasons, but I think the big one is to keep his whereabouts a secret from the ministry. He's afraid that the ministry is looking for him because he has done magic inside a muggle home on holiday. He thinks he's a fugitive on the run. He's on the run. Yeah. So there's this secret of identity, which I feel like, I don't know, there are a few ways that we can see this as a secret in terms of how we see our own lives. There are people who change their names for all sorts of reasons. But keeping who you are a secret because you are afraid of the government, that seems to be like a prescient thing. 
Well, and the thing that really struck me in that is that there's something about his physicality that betrays him, that he has to hide. And I think, you know, f- for different reasons, various different people might have something just in the way they look or the way they're perceived physically that I don't want to say betrays them, but that clearly marks them out to be a certain thing. You know, and it might be, you know, women who choose to wear the hijab are immediately identifiable as Muslims. Or if you kind of go back to the Holocaust, tattoos placed on people's skin, right? That's something that stays with you forever. Or having an accent or your skin tone, right? Like these are things about your identity that can get you in trouble in certain situations, but that you cannot keep a secret. And what I find really interesting is that Harry's identity isn't actually betrayed by the scar, right? It's someone else who speaks to him. Fudge, when he gets off the bus, says, oh, Harry, there you are. That's when Stan is like, oh, my God, Neville, you're not who you say you are. I love that he keeps calling him Neville. And that in itself to me was interesting because I was like, is this Stan kind of maybe being a little slow witted and isn't changing the way he's he's calling Harry? Or is it? really respecting Harry's new identity that he's created for himself in this journey. And he's like, no, man, I'm on the DL with you. Like, I know that you're not Neville, but I'm going to call you Neville. Neville is your preferred name, and I'm going to call you by your preferred name. I I love that idea. I always think it's a little bit stupid when people have a preferred gender pronoun or people have a preferred name and other people refuse to call them by what they prefer. And so, yeah, there's an argument for, like, that's what Stan is doing. He's calling Harry what Stan perceives Harry prefers. But the other thing is, having had several people in my life who've transitioned, even though I want to call them by their preferred name or their preferred gender pronoun, it's hard to make the transition when you've known someone their entire life or their entire interaction as Neville. It's hard to suddenly be like, oh, now you're Harry, right? So, yeah, even with good intentions, I think that that can be hard. Also, I think Stanley is a bit dumb. But I I think actually this chapter is an interesting commentary on class in the Potter world. First of all, Stan is using language as it's written on the page, which is kind of traditional working class slang or intonation in his words. And it's mentioned, you know, he's 18, 19. He's, He's just out of high school. So educationally, he's not gone to college. And for me, it started to raise questions about, well, who's on this bus and why are they there? You know, obviously Stan is doing his job, but why are these other folks, the passengers, taking this form of transport if they're not using the flu powder network, if they're not using their brooms or other forms of magical car transport? Why are they on this bus? Because it is not a comfortable ride. I had never thought of that before, and I really like it. So to your point, I think that the class distinction is made very clear between Harry and Stan when Harry says, how much would it be to get to London? And Stan answers 11 sickles, but for 13, you get hot chocolate. For 15, you get a hot water bottle and a toothbrush in the color of your choice. Harry rummaged uh, once more in his trunk, extracted his money bag and shoved some silver into Stan's hand. Like Harry does not count the sickles, right? You know that for other Wizards who get on this bus, they're like, okay, is, you know, they're doing the mental math of like, is it worth it for the hot chocolate and for the hot water bottle? So, I mean, we see that there's something with a very precise price. And like, obviously, Harry isn't worried about the difference between 11 sickles and 13 and 15, right? Yeah, there's something going on with this bus. And, and for me, it's always been, to be honest, an awkward chapter. Like, it doesn't fit in in the same way that 
most of the other magic that we encounter in these books fits seamlessly into this bigger narrative. And maybe it's because there's something secretive about this bus. We don't really know why people are choosing to use this as their means of transportation. Maybe it is a financial question. We know that flu powder costs a lot of money. So if you're traveling frequently, maybe this is the cost-effective option. Maybe people haven't gained their license to apparate and have never achieved that, you know, and so need to figure out this form. Well, in apparition, you learn at Hogwarts, you learn in school. So maybe if you couldn't afford to go to school for, you know, long enough, you weren't taught apparition, right? Like, that could also have an economic component to it. Right, because this is not a pleasant way to travel. You know, we see Mrs. Marsh basically vomiting as soon as she gets off the bus, poor thing. This bus is not pleasant. (laughs) I mean, the hot chocolate gets spilled, the beds are rolling around. Yeah, and... I think to your point, I mean, even the magic is like there seems to be some weird secret to this magic that it doesn't quite work. The bus can hop 100 miles at a time, but sometimes needs to be up on the curb, but also somehow enchants houses and barns to move out of its way, but can't enchant cars to get out of its way. Like, I don't understand the magic of this. It's obviously not totally illicit and secretive because Fudge is like, oh, I'm glad the night bus picked you up. But it's odd. It is an odd symbol of some sort of secret, different space. Right. The way that night is spelt, it's obviously something that comes at the night, right? But it's spelt with a K as if it's a knight in shining armor. Right. It comes to rescue. Which means that it's coming to get like damsels in distress. It's coming to people who have gone through something recently. And often that comes because of something secretive, something illicit that has just happened. I mean, Harry is running from a secret. I wonder if these other people are as well. Well, and the way that Harry flags the bus down is completely unknown to Harry. He doesn't know what he's done. So is it even like a secret symbol or movement or something that you have to do to flag it down? Like there's so many questions. So I wonder if the night bus has a sense when somebody is in peril because it Stan says, welcome to the night bus, emergency transport for the stranded witch or wizard. Just stick out your wand hand and step on board. I feel like sticking out your dominant hand is something that anybody would do. The night bus must be able to discern when a witch or wizard is in distress and doing that and needs rescuing and doing that rather than like ending a date and being like, hey, thanks. And like going into high five because it was a bad date. So throwing out your wand hand is something that you do regularly. So the night bus somehow is aware when people are in these tough moments. I love that because you can then start to think how precious the night bus is. You know, maybe the night bus only appears if you don't have any flu powder on you. Maybe the night bus appears if you're in a zone where you're not allowed to operate. There might be really interesting conditions. Sometimes the patched together solutions that feel really rough around the edges are that way because they do a specific job. The first time I got a flat tire, I was 16 or 17. And this was before everyone had cell phones because I am that old. And I had a triple A card, but what you had to do was like walk to this like freeway phone. Right. And as I was about to start walking, a truck drove by and was like, I can fix your flat tire for you. I had no idea how to do it. I know now everybody, I'm a good feminist. 
So this truck came up to me and I was scared at first. I was like, oh, this is a stranger who's like going to abduct me in his truck and whatever. And he was like, no, I work for the city of Los Angeles and like showed me his ID. And I was like, you literally just drive up and down the freeway to help people. He was like, yes, I do. That is someone's job in Los Angeles County is to drive on the freeways. And if somebody is stranded to help them and it makes sense, it's bad for traffic if people get stranded in the middle of a lane. Right. Like there are all sorts of strategic reasons why. But the city of Los Angeles, at least in 1998, paid people just to do that. He was a night truck. He was a night truck. He was absolutely a night truck. Did he give you hot chocolate? No. He fixed my tire. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. The other place where I thought about secrets in this chapter is when we meet Cornelius Fudge again. You know, we've seen him at the end of Chamber of Secrets where he's taking Hagrid away. And so Harry is like, I don't like you. But of course, Fudge doesn't know that Harry was underneath the cloak. And Fudge is behaving completely differently now. He was arresting Hagrid for some suspicion, which he kind of knew was false. And here suddenly he's treating Harry very magnanimously even though Harry has broken all sorts of laws. So there's some sort of secret that Cornelius is keeping here, and it's obviously about his fear that Harry's going to fall into the hands of Voldemort. And much more seriously, that he's going to have a scandal on his hands that Sirius Black has escaped, and he's killed the boy who lived the promise of our future. So 
you know, I think what we're beginning to see here is is Harry's growing awareness about the secrets in politics and the secrets in public relations campaigns. And you understand why those secrets exist, but they corrupt the relationship, right? There's no trust here between Fudge and Harry at all. So part of me wants to say you can't become Minister of Magic without having some secrets. You can't become too powerful without having some secrets, without having some compromises that you've made that you're not proud of or that just comes with power and it's too bad. But I think that that might be inevitable. And part of growing older and becoming more cynical is sadly like coming to terms with that a little bit. But What's interesting is that Fudge, in my opinion, tried to do the right thing in talking to the British prime minister, the Muggle prime minister, and warning him that, you know, like a mass murderer is on the loose. You should warn the Muggle police. And he's getting a lot of blowback from that. So I think that we, one, see that, like, Fudge is sketchy, and two, see that being in a political position is hard, and no matter what you do, you're going to get blowback. Absolutely. And I think in that case, we're seeing Fudge take the hit for a secret like he would rather no one knew about. But it comes to a point where the the danger is so large that he has to reveal this secret, you know, for the public's well-being. And sometimes we have to share secrets that make us look pretty bad for the well-being of others. And, And I think Fudge is at that place where he's like, the danger is just too big. I have to not only deal with the blowback from the wizarding community, but I also have to look kind of inept and stupid in front of this Muggle prime minister, who, by the way, is freaking out already just by the fact that I exist, because I'm no longer all powerful, right? Oh, but and the big secret that Fudge has is that he knows he's worried about Harry because Sirius is on the loose and they are concerned that Sirius is coming after Harry. And he's not willing to tell Harry that. Well, and this is my problem with Fudge. I I don't think it's a problem to have secrets. I think we all do. And sometimes those secrets are kept for the best, right? Little white lies are often there just to help us have good relationships. We don't have to tell everyone that their skirt looks bad or that we heard a nasty thing about them yesterday. That doesn't help anyone. But it's the double standards that get me about fudge, right? And we even see that in this chapter about what rules to follow because Harry's like, well, shouldn't I be punished? And Fudge is like, no, no, you're a special boy. You know, we need to keep you safe. And then later he asks Fudge, well, will you sign my Hogsmeade form? Obviously, the Dursleys aren't going to sign it after what I did to Marge. And then Fudge says, oh, no, rules are rules. And I'm like, that is not okay. I don't mind there being exceptions to rules. I just wish that that is maybe what Fudge would have said, right? When he was like, no, you're not in trouble this time. Don't ever do magic at home again. Exactly. But we're making an exception because Sirius Black is on the loose, not he's looking for you, but like because we all get mad at our aunt sometimes, that was accidental magic. I mean, that's the whole point of like a jury of your peers, right? And the whole reason that justice is a conversation rather than, well, you broke this rule. You absolutely are getting punished. I mean, even speeding tickets. If you're going five miles per hour over the speed limit, usually you won't get a ticket. So I like that there's wiggle room within the rules, but I don't like that he's like, oh, we're letting that rule slide. Rules are rules without any explanation as to why. Right. So, Casper, we are going to do Florilegia one more time this week before we move on to Pardes. And I'm wondering if you could please share what your sparklet is for this week. Yes, I loved this little sparklet. It's just two words, and they're hyphenated. Triple Decker. That makes it one word. Oh, really? 
My hyphenated word is triple-decker. What a great one word. Thank you. Um, How about you? What stood out? What's your sparklet today? My sparklet is despite the glow of the fire. Oh, my goodness. Tell me why that stood out. Well, there's a lot of great fire stuff in this scene when Harry gets the leaky cauldron. And I love the idea that it's despite the glow of the fire, Harry is cold is Mm. the full sentence. And I think it's interesting because a glow of the fire isn't what keeps you warm. The heat of the fire is so some like interesting things about lightness and warmth. And I like the way it sounds despite the glow. Like there's some good like hard cacophonous syllables. I just it's like a cool little snippet to me. Why did you pick The great word, triple-decker. It immediately took me to London as a child. You know, we would get on the train and you'd arrive in London and there would be these big red double-decker buses. And it was just so exciting. You would always run up to the top deck and try and get in the front because, you know, you'd have windows on all sides and you get to look out at the big city. And I don't know, it just brought back that idea, not only of, of, of my childhood, but also this kind of iconic image of London. And to imagine then, whoa, what if there was a triple deck and you went all the way up to that one? Like, would the double deck still feel cool? Or like, would the triple deck only work? I don't know. It just took me to a happy place. I love that idea that a sentence can sparkle to you, can become a sparklet because it reminds you of something. I don't think that something has to like sparkle at you because it's inherently spiritual or inherently like deep and meaningful. I love that it's this thing sparkled at you because it took you to this wonderful place. And also the first time I went to London, literally the first thing I wanted to do was get on the top deck of a double-decker bus. I was like, I need to get into a phone booth. I have no one to call. I will not let that stop me. And I have to get to the top deck of a double-decker bus. So let's start thinking about What relationship there might exist between these two phrases, triple-decker, despite the glow of the fire? Vanessa, is there something that you're seeing in the relationship between these two little sparklets, triple-decker, despite the glow of the fire? I think that the night bus is such a weird place that I wonder if it's also a little bit that after Harry is on it, like, even the glow of a fire can't warm him. Like, he's so just, like, confused. And travel sick. Right. It's like the world is spinning. I mean, the night he just had, this is all one night. He blew up his aunt. He took, like, a magical bus to Wales and back. And now the prime minister and him are sitting together. And I feel like the fire can't even warm him. It's like those moments where so much has happened that you're like, Can I put my foot on the ground? Is gravity still going to be there? Well, this is like when you travel a really long distance and you're like, okay, my body is here, but my mind and my energy is definitely not in this room right now, right? Like it takes, you know, a day for every time zone, they say, right, for you really to be present somewhere or even just arriving at a meeting and your brain is still in the conversation you just had or, you know, you arrive home at the end of a working day and you're, you're still thinking about something else. Like there's something about this comparison between this triple-decker bus, right, this image of travel and this, what should be a homely, beautiful, comforting thing. Right, like a hearth. Yeah, like a homey space. And you're just not there yet. So I'm going to just read them one more time for us and I'll switch order. So, despite the glow of the fire, triple-decker. Is there any last thing that this sparkled out to you, Casper? I mean, there's so much to say about the triple word, Obviously, within Christian imagery, the Trinity as a central symbol of 
individuation and relationship both being true, which I don't know, there's something in that as we follow Ron, Hermione and Harry through these books, right? It's a central trinity of relationship that grows in, in trust and love. And although they are all deeply individual, they can also not be extracted from one another. And you understand one better by knowing their relationship to the others. So there's, there's something in that, that that relationship for each of them is hearthy is homely right there's a fire that connects them i always think of gryffindor as associated with fire if there was one element that it was connected to so those are some echoes that i'm seeing in this phrase and you know to that exact point it's what's so amazing partially about fire is one that it it can be awful right if it's in the wrong situation it's terrible but It's crazy that this thing both brings warmth and light, Mm. right? It's this double purpose that fire produces that just seems, you know, incredible to me and that I don't think I've, like, considered until we've put it in this sacred space. Well, now you're making me think also that, you know, the sun is just one glazing ball of fire, right? Like, it's this incredible production of heat and light, and yet... We meet the night bus, this triple decker, when that light and warmth is absent. So that maybe there's something in relationship there as well. I was very skeptical of your sparklet, and I stand corrected. I sit corrected. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Lila Quinn. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. My name's Lila, and I live in Denver, Colorado. I was listening to your first episode of Harry Potter 3, which, by the way, is my favorite book of all seven. If you count the movies, all eight. And I was thinking about the letter from Professor McGonagall. I think that Harry would be actually, he would like it, because he's really, really different to everyone, but something everyone gets, it's the same for everyone. I hope you find something cool with this. 
I can't wait to hear how you interpret it. Bye. Lila, I stand corrected. I think that is such a smart point. And, you know, we see throughout all of these seven books, what Harry is really striving for is a kind of normalcy, right? He, he wants to be just like everyone else and not be set apart by what he was born into or the fame that he has, which is kind of ironic since we know that, you know, the Dursleys are so obsessed with normalcy as well. Maybe Harry is more like them than we think. But um, I love thinking about that letter as a blessing for him instead of a, another way in which maybe he is haunted. So thank you for helping us see that. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Lila. And thanks, your mum, for sending it in. We have two unusual blessings today. Vanessa had to race out of the studio to get to her plane on time. So this blessing is sent in all the way from Germany. And then you'll hear from Jack, who we asked to give a blessing before he left the studio as well. Hi, Casper and Ariana. Sorry I had to run out of the studio, but I am now in the German countryside on my way to Mannheim. And my blessing this week is a non-blessing. There is only really one woman in this scene, um, and that is the woman who is sick and getting off of the night bus, and I'm sure she deserves all kinds of blessings, but I'm a little annoyed that there are so many chapters without good women, so many rooms without good women, so many spaces in which there just aren't enough women. And so my blessing this week is for the future in which there will be more women in every chapter of every book and in every boardroom and every congressional chamber and every med school class. So my blessing is for future women. So uh, thanks for getting my back and hi again from Germany. Bye guys. So one of my favorite characters throughout the whole series is one that we meet for the first time in Prisoner of Azkaban, and that's Remus Lupin. And I want to send a blessing to Remus for this book because he is facing some really hard challenges of deciding how much information to divulge about Sirius and uh, to, you know, to help Harry be safe. Um, and he's battling a lot of demons with his past coming up again. And he just has so many different things that he's trying to balance and trying to protect so many people in so many different ways. And I, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who, especially in, in the LGBTQI community, who might be in the closet or have peers who are in the closet and having to balance how to keep people safe without outing anyone um, or betraying anyone's trust. And so I just sort of want to send a blessing to anyone's way who's dealing with those sorts of conflicts in their lives. My blessing is for Sirius. At the very beginning of the chapter, Harry feels this presence near him. And we learn later that that's Sirius, who, you know, isn't trying to scare Harry. He's really protecting him. He wants to make sure that Harry is safe. And I'm wondering, you know, we thought about how does Harry know how to hail down the night bus? And I'm wondering if maybe Sirius kind of scared him on purpose so that, you know, he would trip and his arm would kind of fly out and that might be a way to to hail the night bus. I, I just feel like Sirius has something to do with this in a way that we don't understand. Maybe Sirius is the one who hails the night bus and Harry is just the one who's right there. So Stan assumes that it's Harry who hailed him down. So I, I don't know. I feel like this blessing is for Sirius and, and anyone who is doing their best to help someone from afar, maybe maybe in an invisible way. So this blessing is for you. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, 
Please join us for our live show tour. We'll be in Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and LA in June, and we'd love to have you join us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And next week, we'll read Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron, through the theme of hospitality. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Ariana Nedelman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Casper Turkyle. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. We're part of the Panoply Network, and you can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. A big thanks to Jack Bird from the Harry Potter Alliance, Lila Quinn for sending us this week's voicemail, Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, and Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you next week. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. The hermit. (laughs) That happens afterwards. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. The Hermitage. (laughs) The Museum Collection. The Destination Vacation Spot. The Cruise Liner. (laughs)